I think I got the long end of the stick. I don't know. What's the other end of the stick? Is it long end? <laughs> well, short end of the stick's bad. A stick is either end, short or long. Long, long end wins. It's a strange thing, isn't it? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Long end wins. Shortest loses. But it's not an end. No, there's no I mean, it's just a stick. Oh, end. Short end of the stick. Oh, yeah, good point. I mean, both ends are the same length, right? you got like the sharp end of the stick, though. The sharp end of the stick makes sense. You stab your hand. That's terrible. That's what it is. Anyway. is Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies, if we ever find any. This week, we're going to do something a little different again. Um, a few months back, we put out onto our various social medias that if you left us a review on iTunes, we'd review any movie you wanted us to watch for the podcast. And you guys turned out in 12s. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of you turned out An for entire 12 of you suggested movies. It took us months. This uh, I have to say, this feels like the punishment episode where, like, we we need we wanted to get more reviews, so we did this, and now we're kind of having to pay the piper a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. when you go to a really good restaurant, you love the food, oh, it's so good, and then the bill comes. This is our bill. <laughs> we're paying our bill right now. There's a couple of you that gave us a really big bill to pay. Yeah. So today we'll be talking about your movies, uh, but to kick us off, let's uh, say your name and what movie you would have suggested for today's podcast. This is Gibby Kyle KT the Gibster Gibson. If I would have had suggest a movie it would have really been the black stallion mm. because all you guys need to really watch it and you'll love it and you'll say gibby was right we should trust him more we often. still wouldn't have watched it i would have i would have gotten together with the other two guys and we would have just agreed to nobody watch it and pretend like we have uh-huh. my name is jordan and i'm really in the same boat it would be the like 144 movies i've picked in these two seasons that you guys have refused to watch. So like Necromantic would probably be the first yeah, one I'd yeah. finally make you guys watch. Oh, I assumed that this was We Are Not on the podcast and we're suggesting movies for the podcast. Right. I, I think I still would have oh, suggested yeah. still yeah. the same yeah. one because I'm still me. A movie that we've already reviewed. No, to me this is about vengeance. This this is about <laughs> this is about this is Lance. Uh, I would have what was the movie I picked for the most disturbing of, oh, uh, Martyrs. Yeah. I would have picked that. Well, that's Why? funny because I already what watched is wrong it. What's wrong with you guys? Why do you it, have so you to... needed something different because that's what I do. I my heart and soul are dark. And <laughs> I have to. I would need to punish you guys. I don't know why. Yeah, it's but just, I would. I would gladly and freely watch that. Well, movie yeah, I, I wouldn't select you though. I would select Gibby. Mm. I'd make Gibby watch it. Yeah, Gibby. Uh, is that is part there a of TV the game version? too? We're assigning <laughs> one person. I don't know, Hudson. You wrote a thing on a document, and I just I, <laughs> I went didn't with even it. write it. Gibby wrote, wrote it. it. Well, somebody <laughs> wrote it, and I'm just rolling with it. My name is Hudson. I'm going to take the question seriously as opposed to all you guys. Oh, I was quite. Serious, serious. Very there's a, there's, serious. There's a great little film I would love to talk about one day. It's called All the Real Girls. Uh, oh, oh my gosh. David Jeez. Gordon Green. I've tried. I fall asleep every single Dude, time. Yeah. Every time. I get I 10 minutes asleep. in and I want to die. Well, yep. great. It'd be perfect for your revenge epic idea that you guys have for this episode, then. Good. So the thing you just criticized us for, you're going to do. I'm doing. But <laughs> un, un, I was not aware of it. Yeah. I would love <laughs> to watch the whole movie. I just keep falling asleep. I would yeah. love to watch the movie. I would also love for the movie to not suck. Well, maybe next season we will do an episode where we force each other to watch movies. I think that's a great I idea. I love it. I love it. Mm, All right. No. 
Black Stallion, here we come. <laughs> or it any can, Albert it can't Brooks be movies. a movie we've already talked about. I think it can. <laughs> you know, this is what's so funny. You you just say things to be contrarian, and it's, you didn't even think about what you just said. You just went with it. I thought he was the contrarian one. You said he said A. I have to say B. <laughs> You're my four year old. I think we should do it. What yeah. what what did I what did I just propose? Normally, and normally at this point in the show is where we'll read listener suggestions. But since this episode is all about listener suggestions. We're actually going to read each suggestion when we get to that film. Yeah, that's awfully appropriate. I want to say this is. Thank you. I was really excited about this episode, you know, all season long because I think it's fun and there's a lot less pressure on us to have to pick movies. Uh, A lot more pressure to watch movies that that we might normally watch, but I feel like we did pretty good. Yeah, there's a few movies that I watched that I had wanted to see or had never seen, and uh, glad I watched. Me too. I I feel like this was good for us. Yeah, this is a good good thing for us. Yeah, humbling. Next year, we're humbling. I was not humbled by this. I didn't really hate any of the movies I had to watch. That Me was kind of nice. I was fully expecting to have to watch something horrible. Uh, well, uh, you didn't watch. <laughs> I guess we don't need to talk about how we decided. Yeah, we did. On these. We just talked about it. We, we had no we free will. No yeah. free will here. Yeah. We didn't. We, no decisions <laughs> this is a very were made by us. Calvinistic episode. So finally, <laughs> my dream has come true, and we can jump straight into it. Gibby getting theological. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty, <laughs> Gibby, why don't you uh, kick us off? All right. So the first suggestion. It's from Adam Williams. He emailed us with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Here's his email. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Hey, I would love to hear your thoughts on this or any other Wes Anderson movie. Just started listening a couple of months ago based on the suggestion of my buddy, Kenny Campbell. <laughs> Enjoy the show a lot. It sounded like a, <laughs> that sounded like a South American vampire. <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox is Wes Anderson's 2009 stop-motion animated adaptation of Roald? Roald? Roald. Roald. I thought it was Roald. Of, of O.R. Doll. I it was Roald. Classic novel of the same name. I think it's Roald. 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 Where we're going, we Roald. don't need Roald. I don't. I'm not. I don't really think the movie has much in common with the book. I don't know. I can't be reading when there's movies to watch. (laughs) You can't be watching movies when there's movies to watch. So, Fantastic Mr. Fox, the movie, follows a fox named uh, Mr. Fox, voiced by the wonderful George Clooney. George. George. George George Clooney. Clooney. Who, when the movie begins, he's a rapscallion, stealing chickens with his beloved Mrs. Fox for a living. But after they're caught and he finds out she's a preggers, he gives up the wildlife for more domestic (laughs) Did you say that like a noun? Like she's a preggers? Yeah, I said she's preggers. After 15 fox years of this type of life, he has the itch and decides to steal chickens and cider and some other thing from three distinct farms in front of his new treehouse. So that's fantastic, Mr. Fox. Personally, I am so happy that Adam chose this movie. This is one of my favorites. And I put it in the upper echelon of Wes Anderson work, and I am a huge Wes really? Anderson fan. Wow. I think overall it's his funniest film in terms of number of laughs. Have, and you've seen the other ones? Uh-huh. All of them. Apparently also recorded and charted out the number of laughs he had yeah. to <laughs> This one has 73 laughs in it. There's so many great characters, scenes, and lines, and has one of my favorite ever Wes Anderson scenes. And it's when Fox and Badger are arguing over where the Fox should buy a new home, and Anderson cleverly swaps out swear words for the word cussing. That was pretty funny. I understand what you're saying, and your comments are valuable, but I'm going to ignore your advice. The cuss you are? The cuss am I? Are you cussing with me? No, you cussing with me. Don't cuss and point. You're gonna cuss with somebody. You're not gonna cuss with me, you little cuss. 
George Clooney plays Mr. Fox, and in George Clooney's career, there's about, he really goes between two or three different characters, and this is my favorite George Clooney, which is the super confident idiot, which he played in this and No Brother. Yeah, he's know, good at that. And many other movies, and it's great. And he, Mr. Fox is one of those, and he's just really funny. Gibby, would you call yourself a super confident idiot? <laughs> I'm not that confident. <laughs> but there's just so many great characters in this movie, and it makes me laugh every time I watch it. I was completely and utterly underwhelmed by this movie. I'd, I'd never wanted to see it because I was afraid I'd be underwhelmed by it. You never watched it till this week? Uh, nope. I was really pretty disappointed. I just hmm. felt like the first four Wes Andersons are so rich, and, and the stories are so powerful, and I just felt like this one didn't meet that. It was a strange choice for him to do animated to me. And I, I think I, the I'm animation's not, amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it is it amazing. Is. It just it did didn't feel like a Wes Anderson movie to me, which yeah. is that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. He doesn't have to Certainly. make the same movie. But or I style feel like movies certainly. since this movie have felt like this one, so like uh, Moonrise Kingdom, for yeah. instance, felt a lot like this. That's to a me. good point. Yeah, and Grand Budapest feels a lot like this. It's very so to yeah. me. Every every subsequent Wes Anderson movie, actually, he's made tend to be like more Wes Anderson. Like I watched this, and was like there can't be a more Wes Anderson movie. Then I saw Moonrise Kingdom, I thought there can't be a more Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> huh. Then I saw Grand Budapest, which yeah. Grand Budapest has a scene of stop motion animation. But it. if you think about it, his the way that he creates his worlds and his characters, they feel like cartoons. They're always wearing the same costume. Yeah. That's, that's what like, I was going to say. The, the sets are very painted and yeah. you know, things like that. Which it, makes it, uh, which makes the decision even odder. It was like, you were kind of already making already cartoons. It, yeah. Why did you go more cartoonish? Well, clearly he has a passion for yeah. that Could it, it, that I mean, that's not at all what, what bothered me about it. I just felt like it just lacked where, there's where not a whole like lot of Rushmore, story Rushmore is so just like there's yeah. so much depth to it. I do feel like there's something about this movie i really enjoy this movie but there's something about maybe maybe it's the like the kind of deadpanness of it's it it's very deadpan everything just feels a little more muted and like i enjoy that because it's quirky but it's quirky in the type of way you're where you kind of watch and you're like oh that's very funny that's cute that's clever as opposed to really like feeling something as deep as his other films right yeah oh and i think that depth is i think it's missing because it's not it's not grounded in the real world at all whereas all of his other movies are they're a quirky version of the mm -hmm. real world but because it's about foxes and because it's an animated film and, and that's not to say animated films can't have that deep human connection, but this one just didn't. And I yeah. think that had something to do with it. Yeah. This was a film I it was really, really talked up to me by a couple of mutual friends of ours. And I have to say, I enjoyed it, but it, it was weird. I kind of forgot about it within 30 minutes after seeing it. Like, there was nothing that stood out to me. Yeah. Mm. Even looking back on it, there's very little I can actually remember from it. But I did like it. I didn't, yeah, I didn't I hate did, it. I didn't hate it at, at all. I just felt completely whatever about it after it ended. And, and Rushmore is one of my all-time oh, favorite me too. movies. Me too. Mm. There's a couple of scenes I just wanted to point out real quick. One is the Whackbat game where Owen Wilson's character explains the rules of Whackbat. <laughs> well, it's real simple. Basically, there's three grabbers, three taggers, five twig runners, and the player at Whackbat. Center tagger lights a pine cone, chucks it over the basket, and the Whackbatter tries to hit the cedar stick off the cross rock. Then the twig runners dash back and forth until the pine cone burns out and the umpire calls hotbox. Finally, at the end, you count up however many score downs it adds up to and divide that by nine. Got it. And then there's another one where Jarvis Cocker of, uh, of Pulp, Pulp yeah. plays, the, uh, <laughs> plays just a guy who sings songs throughout the whole movie and it's kind of random and he just shows up with the guy with a banjo and so he comes out and at one point he's just kind of uh, and as far as I can reckon they're sitting up they're still singing zippy zee zappy zay yappy yo what are you singing Peasy? just just making it up as I, as I went along really that's just weak songwriting 
You wrote a bad song, PT. That makes me laugh every time. I mean, there's an unfairness to the way we're reviewing this movie because we're comparing it to all of his other movies and not letting it stand alone, which sure. that's, you know, that, you have to take that into account. All right, good choice, Adam. Thanks, Adam. I would have <clears throat> talked about it at some point. Priest, bro. All right, Jordan, you want to take us uh, our next our next film? Yeah, I'll, take us to the house, I'll Jordan. take us there. Uh, this one comes from renowned actor, writer, and friend, Jacob York. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at friendship, friend, isn't he? Friend of he the show. He is, yeah. he is. Yeah, I don't know him personally. He's just a friend of the show. <laughs> I want y'all jerks to talk about head and the Angry Inch. He's from start. Kentucky. That's how he talks. You have to call us jerks. Yeah. I think it was a loving term. Y'all jerks. So in the year 2001, I withdrew from Appalachian State University, as you guys may or may not know, and I moved to Athens, Georgia. Play rock and roll and make a new start. Last does, week... Does Jordan know that this is not the story of your life? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're getting there. Okay. Last week, I yapped about how during that time, I was flamboyant in my interest in gender bending and all that jazz. So when a buddy's girlfriend told me about a new movie about a transgender woman punk rock singer musical, I was pumped. So we piled in the car and a group of us drove down to Atlanta to see it. I was blown away. Absolutely floored. The movie, of course, was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So I'm super pumped to talk about it as it's one of my favorite movies. You guys too, I can, I can huh. talk. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're jumping right into So it's about an East German transgender woman who underwent a sex change in order to marry an American GI and move with him to Kansas. Don't you know me, Kansas City? I'm the new Berlin Wall. Try to tear me down. I was born on the other side of a town ripped in two. I made it over the great divide. Now I'm coming for you. The operation was botched, leaving young Hedwig with, quote, a one-inch mound of flesh. Her husband ran off with some young dude after the move, leaving Hedwig to fend for herself. She started a band and began performing her songs while babysitting to make ends meet. On a babysitting gig, she meets young Tommy, a shy wannabe rocker played by Michael Pitt that she transforms from churchy classic rocker into an uber successful rock star named Tommy Gnosis. She's going to show him how to live. That's not exactly how it goes. Come on, come on. She sang me songs. Classics. The bands were new to me. Boston. Kansas. America, Europe, Asia. Travel exhausts me. The two fall in love, but then quickly split after Tommy realizes that Hedwig isn't quite what he expected. So we follow Hedwig on tour as she plays and disrupts Bilgewater Inn seafood restaurants across the country as Tommy plays arenas on a parallel tour. Hedwig tells her story and her woes along the way in one of the most vibrantly and outrageously entertaining movies I've ever seen. Woo. Woo. Hedwig was created by actor-writer-director John Cameron Mitchell, making his first appearance as Hedwig at a New York drag club called Squeezebox in 1994. Even then, a large chunk of the songs written by Stephen Trask and the story were beginning to be fleshed out. The act became an off-Broadway musical play and still is today, I think, or some amount of play somewhere. Uh, yeah, I keep seeing ads for it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Neil Patrick Neil Harris. Patrick Harris. Yeah. This movie is unapologetically bold and fearless in both its context and execution, and it exceeds where many musicals fail. It this- ain't apologizing for being bold. Definitely not. Mm, Please not this don't. Movie. The story progresses in the musical numbers instead of stalling. It's nearly bursting with fun and drama and jokes and excitement and spellbinding art direction, down to every dingy and glitzy detail. I'm not sure there's another movie like it. Part Spinal Tap, part Rocky Horror, part things that haven't even been conceived yet. But all Hedwig, the full angry inch. Ooh. 
Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I kept thinking this was like a Harry Potter spinoff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, the, it's all about the it's owl. owl. Yeah. The owl and its sex change. <laughs> Can you imagine how upset a parent would be if they went to take it thinking it was a, <laughs> like back, a spinoff back, of the back, back in 2001? 2001. Yeah. <laughs> My kind of exposure to this movie was uh, just hearing tons of people talk about it and rave about it. And so I watched the trailer for it, but the trailer always played really annoying to me. It's kind of like filled with sassy, dry one-liners, and it felt like a transgender musical version of Napoleon Dynamite. Um, <laughs> wow. So, but w- once we once this was suggested for the show, um, and once I actually sat down to watch the film, immediately captivated me uh, that there was this real soul and honesty and deepness to it. That it wasn't the kind of surface level kind of comedy thing that the trailer made it out to be. And it kind of won me over in the first twenty minutes of it. Unfortunately, and I apologize to Jacob Bjork for this. I stopped watching it twenty minutes. Just hmm. ran out of time to watch movies this week. <laughs> but I can't wait to get back and finish the rest of this movie because um, I was really um, impressed by what I saw and definitely not what I expected with all the kind of, you know, animation on screen and the unique ways of telling stories and um, just a really kind of raw emotional story. It's amazingly put together. It is not traditional at all in its storytelling. And I think it's quite an accomplishment, especially as a debut film. I didn't get a chance to watch this movie. To be honest with you, like I read over it pretty thoroughly. It's confused me. I just, I didn't quite get what... it, It wouldn't be confusing if you watched it. Yeah, you gotta watch it. I know, but I can't watch at least 20 minutes of it. So so let's hold on. Let's get this straight. We do a listener suggestion episode where we all are going to watch all the movies. And yet again, my movie, no one watched. (laughs) It's like we knew. So good job, guys. I I love talking to you guys about movies that only I've seen. Well, Well, Jacob saw it. So next year we're going to do a show of movies from last year that we didn't watch. We We actually should do a whole episode of movies that Jordan presented (laughs) that no one watched. That'd take like four episodes. All right. Lance. My first movie tonight came from Jonah Berkowitz, who said Crimson Peak, the 2015 Victorian slow burn ghost story by Guillermo, I can't ever pronounce this Guillermo. guy's name. Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. I'm not recommending this because I absolutely loved it or hated it. I'm recommending it because I wasn't actually sure how to feel about it. It had the usual del Toro visual awesomeness that I've come to love, but when the credits rolled, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. There were parts I loved, including the previously mentioned visuals, the creepy feeling, the acting, but the plot didn't always work for me. I'm not sure I actually cared, though. I can't decide if what I liked about it made up enough for what didn't work or not, and I'd love to hear your take on it. Well, Joan, I'm going to give you my take on it, and I'm going to tell you what to feel about it. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. So, Crimson Peak tells the story of Edith, an aspiring author living in 1880s Buffalo, New York, haunted by the death of her mother, and I mean literally haunted. <laughs> At a young age and the recent murder of her father, she falls in love with a mysterious stranger and goes to live with him and his sister in England. In the space of a beautiful but terrifying mansion, she pieces together the family history of her new husband, his shady sister, and how their past intertwined with her own. So, Del Toro is a very interesting director to me. He's become internationally renowned over the past 15 years, and I won't say it's not deserved, but I find myself to be more an admirer of his than a fan. His films rarely engage me all the way from start to finish. They always have intriguing setups, but often start to drag around the midpoint and don't finish as strong as they start. Arguably, his greatest film is Pan's Labyrinth, and that was the one film where he bucked that trend and delivered a consistently engaging movie. Hmm. He's and very. Did he do I it once, again here? I once gave Lance a Guillermo del Toro Blu-ray Criterion for his birthday, and it was not the one he named as the movie that does it all the way through. So bad birthday <laughs> gift by Gibby. Which one was it? El Backbone del Diablo. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate... (laughs) 
<laughs> can see Gibby. Did you like Devil's movie? Backbone? No, I did. Yes, I, I did. I did like it. Okay, thanks. I don't know why the f*** we're talking about it right now, but <laughs> he is very much a director who I think is more about style than substance, but good lord, that style is incredible, and it's what keeps me coming back to his movies. The English mansion where the bulk of this film takes place is one of the most beautiful haunting set pieces. Yeah. Like, Gibby, mm-hmm. I know you love set pieces. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. That I have ever seen in a movie. Agreed. It is built over large deposits of red clay, and the house and the land around it appear to always be bleeding. The roof is missing, so the elements are constantly coming in and adding an otherworldly dimension to everything, blurring the lines between the inside and outside and giving a great visual metaphor for the story. And raising the question, why the hell would you move from Buffalo to New York to there to live in a castle with no roof? Well, she didn't Love know it didn't Jordan. have a roof until she got there. They do seem shockingly unconcerned with fixing the roof. <laughs> yeah. They're very busy and doing a lot of work, but it never yeah. involves fixing the roof. <laughs> right. That'd be like priority one for me. Right. She doesn't even seem that worried about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's cool. Well, so let's talk about the story because I'm going to very much agree with Jonah's criticism here. Del Toro seems to be fond of hitting the same story over and over in his movies, often about a person dragged into the aftermath of some terrible event and having to piece together what happened. They often play out like detective stories, which is a great plot device, but he doesn't always pull it off well, and I'd say this movie falls victim to the same problem. It seems to be more consumed with showing us beautiful, haunting images, which again, it does incredibly well, than it does doing anything important or interesting with those images. He builds up to big reveals with pacing that's lacking, and when we get to the reveal, it's either something we figured out a long time ago or something that really wasn't worth all the build-up. So I'm being a little harsh there, but despite all of that, I can't say I wouldn't recommend this movie. It has some very intriguing characters, highlighted by the brother-sister combo played by Tom, is it Hiddleston? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jessica Chastain. And Chastain is particularly creepy and alluring She's in this really film. She's good. She's amazing. I feel like this is a film that certain types of people, especially those who love the visuals in a movie, will be drawn to. And as someone who's drawn far more to the story, it fell short for me, but man, was it fun to look at. Mm-hmm. I There's, love visuals, and I love, uh, you know, movies with gorgeous visuals, so I really like this film. I mean, I was bored during it until about the final <laughs> 30 minutes, and then I just, like, it gets really crazy in the last 30 minutes, and it was things you could see coming, especially if you read reviews before. Hold on. Um, you, you saw somebody getting stabbed in the face? No, coming? no, that's what I was about to say. It's because <laughs> that The last 30 amazing. minutes are just crazy, like, when, I mean, it's shockingly violent, too, in the last well, that's, 30 minutes. That, and that's the thing with Del Toro films, is these sudden jolting moments of violence that just come, mm-hmm. and they don't even come out of nowhere. You know they're coming, and they're still horrifying. They're still shocking. Yeah, he, he's, yeah he's, he's great at just ramping up the tension like that. And he's also great at giving these really haunting images. And I don't just mean the set pieces. I mean, you know, when the mom appears to the daughter in the mm-hmm. very first scene, it's, it is creepy as hell. Yeah. But I, I'm right there with you, Jonah. I think that this was a film that really, if they'd put as much effort into the story and the substance of the, the plot as they did the visuals, this movie would have been absolutely incredible. Huh. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't really figure out how to feel about it because I, I didn't love it, but I also yep. didn't hate it. It was yep. fun to watch. Yep. I'm going to disagree with you guys. I, I loved this movie. Really? Yeah, I loved this. I thought it was an amazing story. I was captivated the whole time. Really impressed, um, especially with you know, like Tom Hiddleston, someone that you kind of write off outside of the Loki character, but I thought he was fantastic in this. Don't tell me what I think about Tom Hiddleston. I mean, really, he had the best character in it. His character went through kind of the biggest arc and the biggest changes, and I, and I just, I thought he was fascinating. I loved the main girl's story as well. I was just, I was all about this movie. Yeah. And and I'm in the same boat where Del Toro is someone I want to love, but mm-hmm. I walk out of his movies unsatisfied most of the time. But to me, he really shines here much in the way he did Pan's Labyrinth, where to me, it was more about the storytelling than it was the visuals. But I also loved the kind of theme of, you know, it, it makes it very obvious from the very beginning where, you know, the uh, Mia Wiskowski, whatever Wiskowski. her name is, <clears throat> that she's an author and that she writes ghost stories and she has her own experience with ghosts, but the, those ghosts are a metaphor for, you know, things that people hang on to. That's kind of what the movie's about, things that we yep. hang on to and are unable to move on because of them. So I, I found it to be really powerful, really interesting, really surprising.
surprising. I, I love this movie. By the way, have you ever seen a character handle ghosts better than she does? She's over it like yeah. one minute later. <laughs> like, uh, like the okay. most petrifying thing you've ever seen in your life. And a minute later, she's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> so uh, uh, Crimson Peak, 50% of the friends like it. Uh, or actually, I guess oh, all I four of us recommend it. it. Nobody just, just nobody, yeah. none of us dislike it. I don't dislike it at what all. I just said. Okay. Alrighty, my first film that I will be talking about today was brought to us by listener Jacob Hunt, who said, I'd like you to review Housebound, currently streaming on Netflix. Which Jacob also told us where to find it, which was very kind of him. Very Thanks, helpful. Good job. Definitely our most <clears throat> helpful review. So he's talking about the film Housebound, which is a low-budget 2014 New Zealand film that tells the story of Kylie, who gets busted after everything that could go wrong does while attempting to rob an ATM and is ordered under house arrest. The problem is she hasn't been home in years and doesn't speak with her family currently. As her and her stepdad attempt to reconnect with her, now that she's stuck at home, strange things start happening in the house and her mom tells her she believes that it's haunted. Things unravel from there. I really, really love this movie. It's got that unique New Zealand tone, which is like a mix of wacky horror and sentimental comedy, which is how I like my horror. Lord of the Rings. And also how I like my comedy. Mm -hmm. The cast is fantastic and it kept surprising me with twists upon twists. And uh, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil some of those twists and potentially the the ending because I found it such a pleasure to watch and I'm really bummed to find out that the writer-director Gerard Johnstone, who just had a ton of voice here, hasn't done another another film since. He's he, working on some TV show right yeah, now. Yeah, some series. But this I'd was love, his first I'd, movie too. Yeah, I'd love I mean, to see where he I mean, that's the way to come next. and do a film with like an immediate sense of tone, and, and he wrote it. He know he knew what he was doing. Funny because I felt like the tone was all over the place. Really? Huh. Oh yeah. Huh. Like the first half an hour doesn't have that goofy thing, and then it it's pretty goofy. It gets it super goofy, and like another New Zealand film that we talked about recently, Hunt for the Wilder People. Same actress. It, get, it just gets yes. Who I love. She's great. It just gets the mom. goofier and goofier as the movie goes along. And I, I enjoyed it. It was really fun to watch, but oh. not what I want out of my comedies or my horrors. Like huh. uh, like Hudson, <laughs> I really just, I guess I just love the New Zealand sense of humor because between this and the Taiki Watiti films and Flight of the Concord, they all just make me giggle. Yeah. There's this one scene at the beginning of the movie where she's in the bathroom and I can just imagine like Lance watching that scene and freaking out like it just driving up a wall. Gibby, sometimes you say things and I just, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I was talking to these two because you haven't seen it. Well, but, she's I'm like, peeing, I but I'm here you're and about. you're referring to me, yeah. so you understand why I when had to she's jump like in on that. In oh, the, yeah, and it oh, just yeah. it's like really loud. Lance Lance like, like, it was yeah. so loud. <laughs> it was really funny. I'm kind of into that. Yeah. The, what I what I thought was interesting about this film is the protagonist, at least for the first half, is very unlikable, uh, and they kind of yeah. soften her up. Yeah, well, yeah. you're missing the whole joke in that scene, which is she's peeing, and then she hears something, yeah, and the pee stops, and she listens. I'm not missing the joke. And then the pee keeps going. Yeah. And then she hears it again. She stopped. It's very funny. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it was, it was funny. Yeah. It was goofy. I think you do make a good point where she was really unlikable for a long time. Yeah. Her arc is nice. But even when she was unlikable, I found her fascinating to watch. I agree. I really liked that I agree, actress totally. a lot. I wasn't, I wasn't rooting for her to get likable because I was enjoying But she had that permanent her. scowl on her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So check out House P or whatever it is. That scene where uh, she and the mom's boyfriend are kind of stuck together in the basement having to hold that thing together while it gets glued together. Yeah, that was fun. It's <laughs> a good description of <laughs> no sense to me. She says, what I'm imagining in my mind can't be what's in the movie. <laughs> it can't be. He's got a giant. It's uh, pretty hard. No, it wasn't even sexual. Long, it was, it's like a giant wood thing. <laughs> it's getting weirder. All righty. Good call, Jake. I'm glad. I am very glad that Jacob recommended this film. All righty, Lance. Nope. All righty, Jordan. Nope. Also, no. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> so I have the pleasure of introducing the highest rated Rotten Tomato score from any of our 12 films today. It's at 96%. How's, the bragging, straight- how's bragging camp going? <laughs> Pretty good. This is the straight story. Suggested by Chris Adams. Can I suggest the review for the 1999 David Lynch movie, The Straight Story? I am extremely tempted to choose The Godfather simply because it would maybe force Gibby to finally watch it. But I figure you will get to that classic eventually. Well, I like the beginning I of... finish it. He says, can I suggest you review? Like, he, he's very proper and... Mm-hmm. Chris is a very, very nice it guy. Ple- if it pleases the four friends, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might you consider? <laughs> so, The Straight Story. It's a G-rated 1990 film directed by none other than David Lynch of Blue Velvet, Lost Highway. <laughs> one of the Mulholland least G-rated guys yeah. around. That's the <laughs> most, and, and one of the most un-Lynch Lynch movies. <laughs> yeah, this is this, it's totally in his wheelhouse right here. It's uh, The movie's about a 73-year-old man named Alvin Strait, who's a quiet guy, lives with his slightly handicapped daughter in Iowa. He hears that his estranged brother in Wisconsin has had a bad stroke, and Alvin decides to go see him. Problem being that neither he nor his daughter can drive, and he doesn't want to take a bus, so he gets on a mower to make the 300-plus mile trip to talk to his brother that he hasn't seen in 10 plus years. This was before Uber. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't have taken Uber either. Mm. Not before taxis, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Odd decision. I'm glad Chris chose this because I've always wanted to watch this movie uh, and never had, but I got the chance to now and I really loved it. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very sweet, gentle film. I hate it when <laughs> you describe movies like that. <laughs> this is a very hard film. <laughs> mean and Hard everything. G-rated film. <laughs> yeah. It really surprised me at how... Much you loved it? How... how, how much I loved it. Uh, <laughs> did we did we cover already? It's based on a true story. No, it's based on a true story. It's based guys. on a straight story. Based on a straight true story. Well, his name is it's straight. One thing that's I found interesting about this movie is the first 20 or 30 minutes are it, it kind of changes tones throughout because it starts off as one of those like kooky movies about older guys in this really quirky town, and then once he starts his trip, it kind of gets it gets deeper and deeper and more emotional as the trip goes along. And there's something that I texted Jordan this last night, and you you other two, but you guys don't matter he's talking to this who is he talking to was <laughs> it the girl about what when he says anyway he's talking to somebody and they ask what's the worst part about being oh he's throwing with two young bikers uh-huh like bicyclers and he said what's the worst part about being old and this line just like stuck with me what's the worst part about being old alvin well, the worst part of being old is remembering when you was young. And I'm, I'm almost 40 now. And, I mean, I see that now at this age. I can't imagine 35 years down the line. I loved this movie. I loved it. I thought it was so awesome. I didn't really know what to think because I don't always love Lynch. Yeah. And uh, a G-rated Lynch sounded pretty suspect. <laughs> but it's super powerful. It's also made by Disney. So I that's not not to hate on Disney, Lance, but I don't generally like live-action Disney movies. Apologize to me. Okay, I won't. Uh, you do like old men, though. I love old men. 
uh, <laughs> and this is an old man. I cried a little bit, and I actually audibly cheered at the end when... Uh, <laughs> yeah! I pumped his fist, like freeze right. frame. No, I I actually... My fist raised, and I, and, I, and I just... I was like, yes! Yeah! Because, spoiler alert, Harry Dean Stanton shows up at the yeah. end. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. And I think this is the greatest to shortest amount of time on screen ratio ever. That He's amazing, and he doesn't even say he, more he than says like, like five words. Yeah, and it is so powerful There's just and look incredible. In face. Is, he say, that was one straight story. It's heartbreaking, but it's not, I did not it's cry. Not what he says. I didn't cry, guys. Well, uh, there's this also. There's a scene that takes place in the film that's at a bar where oh. Alvin meets this other guy who is in the World War. They start talking about their experiences in a war, and it is so. Mm. I think it's like the hard to watch. I think it's the best like war reminiscing oh, yeah. scene I've, I've ever seen. Better than Rambo. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. Rambo. Yeah, the guy well, next to yeah. him was Rambo. <laughs> that's too. That's, that's a recurring character. Uh, I wouldn't call Rambo a war reminiscing scene. This is. We thought we'd seen the worst. We hadn't had much trouble from the air. I was on a rise. It was a quartermaster working on more coffee for me and my buddies. A stray folk-a-wolf came over the treetops and dropped an incendiary on the mess tent. All my buddies. And the crowd then banked right in front of me on that hill. And I again see the swastika. That is one thing that I can't shake loose. All my buddies' faces are still young. Yeah. Like I war love stars. the idea of watching this movie, <laughs> but I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> Do you not watch any of the movies for this? I watched my movies. I didn't have time to watch nine other movies. <laughs> he didn't have the last two months to watch the other nine movies. He did movies. have a long time He did to have to finish these. the whole I'm sorry, season. I've been four rather busy. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> I but I really I it genuinely I really want to see this movie. I wanted to see this movie for a it's long great. time. It's oh, great. Good I, point. I'll be good shocked point, if you don't um, love it, but that is a really good point. If you could go into a lab and like design the most Oscarish movie possible, I think it might be this. Isn't it no, like I don't not, think it doesn't feel, feel like it. it doesn't it feel doesn't? that way no, not at, at all. all. What it feels like to me is the most indie film. Yeah, it's very ever. indie. Yeah. Well, that's what I was, that's what I mean. It's got this. I don't know that. Well, Farnsworth is so natural. He's the guy that plays Alvin Strait. Richard Farnsworth. This is his last role. He was nominated for an Oscar, and then he killed himself after it. Yeah, um, very sad story. He was yeah. dying of cancer making this film. Bone cancer. Oh, I didn't know he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean he's a great actor, and uh, what a great way to go out with Whoa. this film. Oh, well, geez, Gibby, not my <laughs> gun day. <laughs> yeah, that's how I want to do it. <laughs> but I mean, he's so like natural in this role. It doesn't feel like an Oscar bait type film. What's up next, Jordan? Jordan number two. Excited about this one. All right, this one came from Harry Legman, James Leg. He said, If I choose Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, what's the chance you'll actually watch and review it? I'm just trying to cause as much pain as possible. The chance in Jordan is 100% not only watching this film, but all five I of watched the films. all five Twilight movies. Jordan was by far the most tortured of. Why did you do that? Because I'm committed to my job here. That's at excessive. Four Friends, that's, not, that's not commitment. That's unusual. Because he had two months to watch these yeah, movies. Lance, what have you them? done for this podcast? <laughs> because I, I respect... Oh, you mean other than carried it? What's up, Gib? High five. Don't high five that. Uh, 
High five me, Gibby. Gibby was about to have an a-hole today. I'm joking. Uh, I don't think I carry the podcast. Can I, we bleep a? I'm probably the least popular friend who fights about film, so. No, it's me, because no one can remember them on it. <laughs> Sorry, Legman, but your attempt at giving us a painful suggestion backfired. Oh, no. Take that, Legman. Yeah. Bow! I had actually been looking for an excuse to uh, watch this pinnacle of teen drama for years, so thank you. And I went ahead and watched all four, as I said, and uh, I really soaked it all up. So uh, it's time, y'all. Twilight. And? Breaking Dawn. Let's break this dawn. Here's the deal. Bella Swan, a whip-smart, confident, fearless, utterly atypical teenager, moves to the Pacific Northwest to live with her dad. She promptly falls in love with a hunky vampire boy, Edward, who isn't nice to her until maybe the fourth movie. Using her one (laughs) facial expression... Oh, sorry. It's true. He has like three. Bella is unfazed by her new fanged boyfriend, and so <laughs> we, and so we shouldn't be surprised either to find that her best friend Jacob is both a howling werewolf and allergic to shirts. Breaking down part two. <laughs> shirt, no, that's a new moon. Uh, <laughs> Bella spends the next eight hours of movies begging Eddie to make her a vampire, but he won't do that or begin coital relations until he's he makes her a teen bride. They get married. Jacob is pissed, but he, he gets is. a big French kiss out of her anyway and bella and eddie head out on a bedroom furniture destroying honeymoon <laughs> off the coast of brazil bella gets preggers with a bloodsucker baby even though she's still human breaking down part one or however poorly human stephanie meyer could manage to write her so while dying in childbirth the only way eddie can save her is to make her a vampire himself granting her wish at last so that's where this movie starts and the story really goes off the deep end they have a mudblood daughter and the vampire elite are pissed and want to kill bella's vamp family Will they survive? Probably. Yeah, looks good. Well, it should be obvious now, if it wasn't already, that these movies weren't made for old dudes like us. (laughs) Even though I borrowed this Blu-ray from Gibby, (laughs) and it was no longer in shrink wrap, which I assume means that he watches it regularly. I don't know about regularly. Is once a year regularly. (laughs) But you haven't seen The Godfather. Once a year on my birthday. (laughs) This is his Godfather. That being said, I enjoyed Breaking Dawn Part 2. That could have been because of a ridiculously brave, hearty, and half-hour battle scene of ripped limbs and Crazy. Oh, it's it nice. very crazy for that movie. If it wasn't completely pulled out from under you at the hey, end of that. Hey, spoiler alert. Or it could be that the eight hours of Twilight I had endured up to this point were a brutality <laughs> of boring that I hardly knew existed. Like having your brain removed with the dullest possible instrument. I will admit that learning the ins and outs of the vampire existence was fun. The world creation was interesting and a few of the characters were enjoyable. Mainly the old school vampire elite. So here's where I really think Twilight missed the mark. For me, a 35 year old dude who <laughs> hates overly romantic bullshit movies. The love story is lame, unconvincing, and superficial. Bella and Eddie have no arc, no growth, nothing. No chemistry. Nada. Zero chemistry between the two of them. She's got that one facial expression, though. She is, I mean, whatever. She's not the problem with the movies. The movie's focus is just horribly misplaced. The real story here is... Any of y'all Team Jacob? I'm Team Jacob. Ugh, barf. Oh, God, don't say oh, that. Oh, no, I don't like him. Jacob is a werewolf who goes against his tribe and his pack, putting himself in constant danger and surrounding himself with people who, that hate him just to assist and protect and be there for his friend, Bella. But along the way, we watch him struggle with this. He has to overcome his nature, his feelings, his pride. It's really pretty great if you can see past all the insanity that the filmmakers here try to pile between the audience and the most interesting and compelling character. Unfortunately, it also perpetuates that situation I constantly found myself in in high school where the girl that I really liked had some total 
douchey, blood-sucking boyfriend, but I went on as an overly committed friend and admirer, bending over backwards... This is getting weird. ...to convince her that there was a better option, ignorantly thinking my Herculean efforts <laughs> would eventually get me the relationship I wanted. Nope. Didn't happen. Not even once. And then you fell in love with her infant daughter. That no. would be That, would no, be that my, didn't, that didn't actually happen. That out. would be my college years, Jordan, oh. not my high school. High school, yeah. I did not talk to girls. So here's my take mm-hmm. on the whole Twilight thing. I've seen all five movies, four of the five at the theater. I actually really enjoyed the first one. I thought it had a sense of kind of adventure and... The first 80 teen minutes eight. of the first one minutes, are, are really pretty good. The, the, the setup of yeah. the world is great. And, until there's this crazy, there's this terrible baseball scene 80 minutes Whoa. into the movie that almost pretty ruins terrible. it. The second one was interminable. Is that the right word? Sure. Give it a shot. I can't watch it. It's just awful. (laughs) The third one's all right. The fourth one was really bad. And then the Breaking Down Part 2, I enjoyed as well, mainly because of what Jordan said is that last 30 minutes, it just goes bat poop crazy. Oh, you mean that it didn't actually happen? That part of the movie? So you're you're mad that it didn't happen. That's like Jordan. Oh, I hate it. That's like a Jordan. Really? Yeah, because I love that scene. My my jaw was on the floor during that scene. My jaw was on the floor, too, because I'd read the book. Because I'm like, oh, they're doing all this stuff that's crazy. They're actually taking risks finally with this series. And then they pull the rug out from under you. Spoiler alert. My favorite part of all five movies happened in that battle. And it's when one of the top three Volteri, like vampire elite guys, is about to get killed by the two other vampire <laughs> dudes. He sees them running at him and they, at, right when they get to him, he just says, finally. Mm. And I, I, it made his character so interesting to me that he's this vampire elite and he's been around forever and he's just been wanting to die. Mm. And so there are there are little like Easter egg nice things. But then nice he kept things. living. Yeah. What, what? But then he kept living. In Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, um, I, I enjoy the Twilight films, so which, uh, uh, as most people would imagine, knowing me, you know, vampires, werewolves, young love. But as the series goes kind of up and down, I love that it gets progressively weirder as they got more popular. Yeah, it got to the point where one of the most popular film series on the planet has a guy eating a baby out of a pregnant <laughs> woman's stomach. How did I miss that? Did That's you? the, the, the Breaking Dawn break- Part One. Yeah, Part One. That's when things get really crazy at the end of Breaking Dawn Part One. He basically performs a C-section with his teeth. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He they don't really eat show the baby. it. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't eat the baby guys. But uh but I like I like this series. I liked how it got weird. I would have brought this up maybe on a guilty pleasure episode. It's not one I'm proud of. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't like it's, it's certainly not the worst movie I've seen in the twenty four episodes of this podcast. <laughs> we don't have to talk about what yeah. they, what that is. Thanks, James Legg. <laughs> I I didn't say. We've seen him. <laughs> but thanks for the, finally giving me the excuse to watch it. Yeah. All right, Lance. Our next pick comes from Brendan Egan, and there's no real email to read here because he just uh, sent a one word big. He could have meant anything. Did we he, don't know. Did he at least write it in all caps? I don't think so. So anyway, the movie is big. <laughs> Penny Marshall's 1988 beloved classic. Can we call this a classic? Sure. Is this yeah, classic? I think it's classic. 80s classic, sure. About young Josh Baskins, a teenage boy who is daily reminded of the shortcomings of not being a grown-up. He finds a mysterious Zoltar machine that grants wishes, and he wishes to be big. And it's so often the case with mysterious carnival machines, his wish comes true as he wakes up the next morning in the body of a full-grown adult who bears an uncanny resemblance to Tom Hanks. This is a film that came out when I was 10 years old, so it was right in that wheelhouse of when I was feeling a lot of the same things Josh was. That frustration of being a kid, that impatience with the process of becoming an adult, and wondering if that process would ever happen. So this film spoke to me. Now that I'm on the other side of it, I find myself pleading with his character to run the other direction and stay a kid as long (laughs) as he can. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that brings up an interesting aspect of this film, which is that I think your reaction to it varies heavily based on where you're at in your life when you see it. So many iconic scenes in this movie, pr- probably the greatest of which is Tom Hanks and Robert Loja's piano key scene where they play chopsticks on a giant toy piano. Yeah, band. I'm not sure there's a more a better iconic scene maybe ever. Really? It's, oh, it's so awesome. Well, I've you know, to, I've been to New York twice in my life and I specifically go to FAO Schwartz and walk on that giant that? piano because yeah. of this. Yeah, so the tie in there is that Tom Hanks' character gets a job at a toy company and, and because he's so a kid awesome. and he has a great, yeah, it's a great setup. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he has knowledge of toys and I think that that scene is so iconic because it really just captures the entire spirit, spirit of the film. It's very much about a kid bringing that kid-like attitude back into the adult world. The film has sustained itself and found its place in the American consciousness because it plays so effectively with such universal themes around growing up and the pros and cons that exist on both sides of that child-adult boundary line. We see Hank's terror at the idea of suddenly being an adult where that safety net is gone and his wishes come true. But we also see the light and happiness his childlike attitude brings to a bunch of adults who have long since had that flame extinguished and needed to have it rekindled. And that's what makes it so universally appealing. There's something important being said to you whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old, which is an exceedingly rare thing for a movie to do. It's a beautiful, heartfelt story that handles its subject matter with a kind of love and care that could have easily become imbalanced and sent it in the wrong direction. But in the hands of a capable director like Penny Marshall and a legendary actor like Tom Hanks, it's pulled off beautifully. Another theme it deals with, child molestation. (laughs) So this is one of those movies that unintentionally set up this kind of hilariously disturbing implication it doesn't deal with. Uh, Hanks, as an adult, basically has sex with his love interest, played by Elizabeth Perkins. She didn't know. Which, to people like me who can't stop asking questions in movies, raises the question, did she just molest a kid? And if she did, it's hard to fault her because she didn't know. But in the last shot of the film, she sees Hanks turn back into a kid, and she just sort of smiles and waves longingly. And and then has sex with him again. Then hops back in her car and takes off. And what I wanted to see was a final scene where it reveals how far down the road she got before she realized she had <laughs> sex with a 12-year-old. Runs off the road. Yeah. yeah. Funny note on that is that there was a rumored alternate ending where her character finds the, the carnival machine, makes a wish to be young, then becomes Josh's age so they mm-hmm. can be together. Uh, it wasn't ever filmed, but that would have been every bit as creepy to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably weirder. I love this movie. I think it's absolutely amazing. But I think them taking it to the point where they have sex is just it's weird it, it's super weird and it i don't really feel like it needed to happen yeah mm-hmm. if jordan and i are not people who are prudish in movies no, i don't not think at all. you're not hearing not this from like there's nothing puritanical here mm-hmm. it just felt really out of place mm-hmm. and i kind of wish they hadn't gone to me the it. intercourse takes it too far not that we see it but right. you know it's just but what we right. what we do see is him like undressing her mm-hmm. like a kid would i mean like he's, yeah, yeah. he's very like childlike about it and that is really creepy to me i'd never like that scene but it's also it the whole point of the movie it's about him growing up too soon right and, and that's part of growing up and it's part of ruining that innocence mm-hmm. and so yeah but I he hasn't he hasn't grown he up wasn't part of my growing up but the, but, the, <laughs> but that's not, what it represented know, the idea was it's supposed to represent growing up over you know well, quickly it, it may it may be a metaphor for that but yeah. in the literal sense of the plot he's still a 12 year old he's still a kid know, a i'm super torn at the end of this because i love josh and susan together and i think that he makes her so much better and so mm-hmm. i kind of want him to just stay there and stay grown up mm-hmm. and like and have this beautiful relationship with this woman and so i get well, kind of bummed when he where decides she's to go pregnant home. and he comes back into her life he's gonna have to pay child support so <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> That'd actually be pretty funny and super funny weird. Sequel. <laughs> he wishes to be little again. I don't want to be big. The sequel, little. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is one of those movies that's just, it's a perfect premise that's perfectly executed. You know, there's, there would have been so many easy ways to screw this up. It's just fantastic. It, it, it fell into kind of an area of that late 80s where they could get away with this kind of magic stuff in a way that I feel like you can't do now and that kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, again, it was like I said a minute ago, It's th- this could have easily been terrible Disney movie territory. Starring Sinbad is like the guy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like it could have been just really stupid, <laughs> right. but you put it in the hands of the right people and I think it proves that you can take even the silliest premise and turn it into something really heartfelt, which um, this film definitely is. Uh, Lance, you just mentioned the word heartfelt, and there are some scenes in this movie that are very heartfelt. heartfelt. You know, one thing that it does good job is it also it, it it shows like some real world implications of it. Like it goes back a couple times and cuts to his mom. Who mm-hmm. in more, yeah. most in typical sure. movies you wouldn't they wouldn't cut the mom like they wouldn't yeah. cut back to yeah. her. She would disappear. But it cuts yeah. back to her, and it's so heartbreaking to see. She's I mean, because she's just lost her son. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she has no idea what happened. I remember watching this with my grandfather, and Jared Russian says the f word. Uh, at the end and it was shocking Ooh, yeah. was it not shocking when there's a scene of a 12 year old banging an older chick <laughs> between you and your grandfather I, I, I loved this movie as a kid I really I mean I wanted to be Josh Baskins you know I wanted to grow up immediately who wouldn't want a, a loft like that in yeah. New York Dude, awesome. yeah, that, was, cool. that was crazy did you guys think when he was um, inventing toys though that his ideas kind of sucked they were like <laughs> things that I wouldn't want when I was that age it was like the comic book that like changed every time it was like it was a like choose weird, your adventure yeah but it was a weird like digital version before before digital was cool like <laughs> yeah no yeah, I, mean, I remember thinking that was so lame not as lame as the building that turns into a robot <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was terrible yeah <laughs> uh, you're right some of the ideas were pretty bad I, I remember a scene that has always stood out to me in this movie and it's a very i mean it's a quick scene but it's early on when he's got his apartment in this like terrible part of you know yeah, New York. That's, that's oh just staying in that bad hotel, hotel and, st james and it's when he's finally alone Dude. by himself mm-hmm. and he, he gets in a ball on the floor and just starts yeah, crying yeah and it was that idea it doesn't just play with the excitement of the becoming an adult it plays with the like terror of mm-hmm. becoming an adult and and that realization that, that safety net of childhood is gone and he's on his own mm-hmm. like that the fact they dealt with that, that it was things like that that separated this film from going down a campy silly route yeah yeah good suggestion there uh brendan good job brendan my next film was suggested by amanda rogers who says my movie to add to your list sliding doors her her email read very excited because she put sliding doors exclamation exclamation point, point. also read what's, with that accent. Yeah, what's funny is that's very there, close to Gwyneth Paltrow's accent in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> One roughly, of her accents roughly in the movie. as good. <laughs> Sliding doors Slide tells these doors. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Slide him right off the tracks. <laughs> Sliding Doors tells the story of a British woman played by non-British Gwyneth Paltrow, who shortly after getting fired from her PR job, she barely misses the train back to her house. Or does she? At this point in the film, we start following two parallel realities. One where she made the train, and one where she missed it. In one reality, she finds out her boyfriend is cheating and breaks up with him, and in the other, she cluelessly keeps on dating him. It sounds on the surface like something I would love. Mm-hmm. A grounded mm-hmm fantasy rom-com mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic setup for a film but unfortunately it's not explored in any interesting ways in this movie it's not romantic enough to be a romance it's not dramatic enough to be a drama it's not fantasy enough to be a fantasy it's not funny enough to be a comedy it's just kind of there nothing about the film feels fresh and they made the two stories so drastically weighted in one direction that you knew there was only one direction for it to end up and even when things get slightly serious in the end it never feels that way 
because you know without a doubt it's heading for a happy ending. Cast doesn't really help either. None of the leads really carry the movie. Maybe in some other alternate reality out there, they made this film with Hugh Grant in the boyfriend role, Colin Firth in the new love interest role, and literally anyone other than Gwyneth Paltrow in the lead role. It's not that Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow is a bad actress. She's just not a movie star. She's better suited for supporting roles like Pepper Potts or Brad Pitt's wife's head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and hopefully in this alternate version of the film, the filmmakers chose to ask deeper questions about maybe like the need for suffering in order to attain contentment. But instead, we're left with the much weaker fate will bring you together message that we've seen literally a million times before. I wish I had gotten on the train that caused me to miss watching this movie. Zines. Man, you just did. That was, that was a good. Roger Ebert thing. Oh, right I that felt was like you Ebert. just did a great Jordan impression. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am with a Hudson impression, except that it's legit. I love this. I really, I really, I really like this movie. I love this movie. What alternate reality have I entered? I hate the music. The pop music in this movie is horribly offensive. Song. What was the incredible song? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Do you know that was the song? You got to be kidding me. We'll look it up. No, that's the worst part. Tell me what I please. I'm dying to hear this. Why I like this movie? Yeah, me too. I just think it's a lot of fun, and I love going to Paltrow. What? I saw this movie in college, and I loved it. Yeah, I saw it there in college too. I don't know if magical's the right word, but but it was, I just like that the way that it messed with the, the storytelling. I don't know. I just like seeing the parallel lives. I think it's heavily flawed, but I, I really enjoy it. I, I agree. I, it's I heavily think, flawed. I do think it's probably <laughs> one of the greatest PSAs ever made for why people should use contraception uh, because everyone that can end up pregnant ends up pregnant in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, which is which ridiculous. Is, it is absolutely ridiculous. In credit the, song is Dido, by the way. Yeah, Thank Dido. You by Dido. Yeah. Oh, you're not talking about the one in the last scene because that one is the worst where it's and like, then it abruptly like she's, ends she's and goes to find, an end credit song. She's gonna find her man. Yes, she's grown up. She's got a young man waiting. On the poster for this film, we see her face in two different takes that are opposite one another. And what the film seems to be suggesting on the poster is that the major outcome of making life decisions is just that you'll end up with very different hairstyles. <laughs> I really she just went, she, she's undergoing a, a monumental change in her life. Yeah. And she decides that since she's not with Jerry anymore, she should mix things up a little bit. Just because you've looked the same for 20 years doesn't mean that other people shouldn't yeah, change it up. He sometimes. doesn't have frosted tips anymore. <laughs> That's, yeah, but he's looked the same for change. about 15 years. I had a boy band era. <laughs> Uh, I really one of the reasons that I think that I really like this movie is I really like the John Hanna character. Which one's Hanna John Hanna? The He's the good new guy. love interest. Oh, yeah. The good guy. I He's actually I ended up liking him by the end as well. Yeah. Jerry, though. That guy's terrible. <laughs> and I don't mean the actor. I mean, I'm so was, mad at him the whole the time. That was the problem with it. Is you, they gave you nothing from him. They gave You didn't understand why she was with him, that he, that he was a good guy in any way. But like how often do you understand why beautiful women are with Well, as a viewer, I want to be torn. I don't want to have my mind made up for me knowing that one is the correct way and one is, the, is not. I want to know that both have pros and cons. I don't think it's and that relationship had no pros. Oh, look, the guy that didn't see this yeah. movie is over here snoring. Jesus. All right, Lance, we're going to f*** with your segments from now on. I'm just going to pretend like I've never seen any of your movies. No, I, Hudson, no. I can totally see why you would hate this. And I think the reason I like it is that it's not straight rom-com. It doesn't really feel like a rom-com to me. It's, yeah, like, it's, it's not that funny. It doesn't feel like anything. I'm just still trying to come to terms with how much you two have flipped places. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. weird, isn't it? 
<laughs> Super bizarre. I thought that. everybody was going to hate this. I thought we were going to have fun bashing Turned on over it. over a new leaf on this show. No, I get really involved in this movie for, for whatever reason. Mm. Had you seen this before? Yeah, this I saw list? it in college. Okay. Interesting. Sorry, Amanda. Sorry that I reviewed your movie. <laughs> <laughs> Should have given it to one of these other guys. Gibby. Girls just want to have fun. This came from Susan Stagg Cooper, who said, I hesitated on doing a review because I know that any listener's suggestion that I have to offer is going to be something that you guys will hate oh, having to watch. Susan, that's not But true. I'm doing it anyway. I want you guys to review Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Is it an excellent film? No. But it is a standout movie for the ladies of our age, and I think it will be funny having you all review it. So Girls Just Want to Have Fun. It's a Joke's 19- on you, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead, this is a 1985 comedy directed by some guy who directed other things. But what's important here? <laughs> did he? <laughs> yeah. Did he get yeah. to direct? Is that even true? Yeah, he did. Uh, what's important though is that this is basically the coming out party for future stars Sarah Jessica Parker and Helen Hunt. Hubba. This is their first starring roles. Uh, in the movie, SJP plays Janie, <laughs> an army brat kid who's new in town and loves to dance. I. I like listening to music, and I like doing gymnastics, and I love to dance. On her first day at an all-girls Catholic school, she connects with Helen Hunt's Lynn, who also loves to dance and loves some, they both love some dance TV show. So the movie's about dancing or something. Anyway, long story (laughs) short, they want to be on some super cool dance TV show, so they try out against the will of her parents. It's actually called Dance TV. Yeah, Dance TV, (laughs) yes. So they want to be on some some super cool dance TV. Been there. (laughs) Janie makes it to the final tryouts, where she's paired with a boy who looks about 30 and has nice abs. (laughs) He sweats a lot. But will Janie make the final cut and make the TV show and find love and win her disapproving father's approval. You have to watch to find out. Guys. No, you don't. You can probably no, we can talk about it. That's <laughs> pretty true. Uh, so, so I feel like quick. that lead guy is like Joey Lawrence meets yes. meets Ethan Embry. <laughs> I don't know who Ethan Embry is, <laughs> yeah. but this guy is all Joey Lawrence. But the I acting mean, ability of neither of them. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> terrible. <laughs> this is this is simultaneously one of the worst movies I have ever seen, and also one of the best movies I have ever seen. I kind of have to agree with it's, you. Yeah, it's yeah, one of fun. those quote unquote great bad films. I think girls and boys just want to have fun watching this movie. <laughs> I've got like a whole page of notes on this. Wow. That's rare. Yeah. More than you No, ever I mean, done. they're not in any order or anything. That's not rare. <laughs> so Helen Hunt, I oh. think she's actually quite good in this movie. I love Helen she's Hunt. She's maybe the only this. person that she's, she's the only actress in the her, movie that's her, any good. Gi- her gymnastics skills in this movie are <laughs> like the none charts. other. Off does, the chain. Does she do gymnastics too? She she half asses them where she'll like run <laughs> up to the thing and then just like yeah. duck under it or Sarah Jessica Parker's stunt double also does some great gymnastics in this movie. <laughs> I her you stunt mean, double you mean SJP was... doesn't do it? <laughs> Wasn't her stunt double an actual horse? You mean when they when they <laughs> zoom Is that mean? Yeah, yes, that's, that's mean. mean. What's what's funny about SJP this movie is... when they zoom out fifty yeah. feet in order to get those gymnastics shots, <laughs> maybe it's <laughs> because just, she's they, not doing no, it. No, she's so good they didn't know which direction she was gonna go or how far they zoom I feel like either I know nothing about dancing or these filmmakers know nothing about dancing because I couldn't tell who was supposed to be good and who wasn't. Like that, the lead actor guy, the Joey Lawrence guy, he got chosen for the show for basically spinning in circles and jumping through a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And you <laughs> Those were his dance no, skills. They're watching the movie, that that's all he knows how to do. <laughs> yeah, he spun around a lot. There's this great tryout scene at the beginning that's set like at an outdoor stage and there's all these random people People just walking up on the thing. I, I couldn't stop laughing during it. Can we talk about the unarguably the best scene of this movie? The party crashing. The party crashing. Man. 
So the idea is that they're trying the popular girl throwing this party. She's just a rich girl. We're not sure if she's popular. Well, and she invites yeah. the love interest to her her dad's party. Mm-hmm. So in order to get her back, they take the invitation. They make hundreds of copies of it, and they're going around and passing it to lots of punk rockers and lots of women bodybuilders. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the yeah. way these people crash the party is it starts off. They're having a so nice literally. dinner party. A some sort of punk rock ninja uh-huh. <laughs> jumps through a window. At the country club. At the country club. And then the band, which I'm assuming, I knew this was going to happen because you look at the band, they look like punk rockers dressed in suits to look like they're not punk yeah. rockers. So they start playing the punk music. And do, do you know what that band was called? Are they a real band? No. Oh, I did the, say, I don't remember. The band was called The Grateful Dudes. <laughs> <laughs> movie so great and awful. Yeah, and that scene's so weird. So it's like the punk rockers like messing stuff up. And then the bodybuilding women in some point just pick up a couch <laughs> uh-huh. and just move it for yeah, there's, no reason. There's an old lady on the couch. Yeah, so they, they pick just, up the they couch and turn it. around so it's right up against that's the, the wall. That's the idea of fun. <laughs> uh, there's a scene that's later in the movie where he tries to bribe the yeah. main dude to throw the contest. and he he's going to fire his dad. Yeah, he fires yeah. dad. And you tell this movie has no budget because he shows up in like a Lincoln Town Car. So it's big <laughs> and in the back seat, you look, and it's obvious they didn't have enough money to tenant, so they put like black construction paper on the really? windows. <laughs> wow. Um, so my one complaint about this movie <laughs> is the completely undramatic climax. So this is the climax of the film. They show up for the final like dance off. They dance. Everything goes great, and then they win. Well, and, no, and there's a dance off. And dad, dad sees them on TV. Yeah, goes there. Is he's pissed? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. They set up all these awesome like possible situations. Right. Uh, it all goes off without a hitch. Yeah. So the moral of the story ends up being just dance. Well, <laughs> dance. Do your best. Dance. But <laughs> but break all the rules. Defy your parents. Sneak out of the house. Like do everything you shouldn't do. And, and everybody will it. forgive you because you won. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just Make sure you win. I'm also yes. really confused as to the layout of her house. Like, I think she lives in an apartment complex, but then one scene, <laughs> no, the dad's that is out their there. House. The dad's out there, uh, like mo- cutting down a tree. But then in some scenes, she's climbing back into the window with like no problem. Then at the end, when Helen Hunt breaks her out of the house, she has to bring a big rope from the top of the building. Well, that's because her dad down. cut down yeah. the tree, so she couldn't escape. Right? Did you watch this movie out of order? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would not make sense. Sorry, Lance, girls. Lance, what do you think fun. about this movie? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, uh, the the owner of the dance show is like walking around and he says, we need you to sign this contract. Here, sign it. And he hands her the contract and a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say the only person at this table who has the right to give me hell about not watching movies is Jordan. <laughs> you guys act like you guys come prep 12 for 12 every week. That's bull. Yeah. Well, like 11 for 12. Yeah, I think it's amazing that the three of us that have seen this movie loved it as much as we did because <laughs> yeah. this, this is genuine. Like, we all really loved it. It was very enjoyable. I will say, fun. I do kind of want to watch this. A lot of fun. fun. All right, Jordan. A little change of pace here. <laughs> A little change of pace, yeah. And it comes from Allison Umbarger, who said, I decided to go with a movie that you guys have probably all seen, but it's one that left its mark on me when I first saw it years ago. I figure I can use this tiny platform to make sure everyone who listens to your show has also taken the time to see it. American History X. So the Edward Furlong vehicle. The dirt bike or the semi truck? <laughs> uh, from 1998, directed by Tony K, starring Ed Norton and the ultimate 90s teenager, 
Eddie Furlong. It's American History X, and really, there's way too much to unpack in this movie for the amount of time allotted, but I'm going to do my best. Ed Norton is Derek Vineyard, a leader in an L.A. skinhead white power neo-Nazi group who goes to prison for three years after killing two black men who broke into his car. The movie is narrated by his younger brother, Danny, another member of the crew who lives to impress Derek. Danny writes a paper in school praising Adolf Hitler as a civil rights leader and is required to rewrite his paper instead on his older brother, who had just been released from the prison sentence. What Danny doesn't know when he accepts the challenge is that Derek has had a change of heart in prison and is now focused on keeping Danny from going down the same destructive path he went down. The film is incredibly effective at boiling down how our relationships, family, friends, co-workers, teachers, cellmates, enemies, affect our views and opinions and ultimately our path. We see the casual racism of a father planning a seed in his son that becomes full-blown neo-Nazism, and then carried from brother to brother. We see how a teacher can influence a student, even years down the line. How friends influence and encourage or discourage each other. Connecting all these dots is incredibly powerful. It would have been easy for this to fall into some kind of after-school special trap, but it stays far from that. Unlike many movies, this one is no less applicable now than it was at its release. Many of the conversations in the movie aren't really any different from what you might have heard your uncle saying during the Thanksgiving meal, and it becomes awful powerful when you see a skinhead Ed Norton with a giant swastika tattoo saying the same things that Uncle Tommy said. Like here when... I have an actual Uncle Tommy. Oh, you do? I don't. I was hoping to... So your... Lance's... Yeah. And it becomes awfully powerful when you see skinhead Ed Norton saying the same things that Lance's Uncle Tommy said. (laughs) Like here when Derek is giving a pep talk to his crew before they attack a Korean-owned grocery store. Listen up. We need to open our eyes over two million illegal immigrants bedding down in this state tonight. This state spent three billion dollars last year on services for those people who had no right to be here in the first place. Three billion dollars. Four hundred million dollars just to lock up a bunch of illegal immigrant criminals who only got into this country because the f***ing INS decided it's not worth the effort to screen for convicted felons. So is anybody surprised that south of the border they're laughing at us? Laughing at our laws? Yeah. Every night, thousands of these parasites stream across the border like some f***ing pinata exploded. (laughs) Don't laugh. There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. It's about decent, hardworking Americans falling through the cracks and getting the shaft because their government cares more about the constitutional rights of a bunch of people who aren't even citizens of this country. On the Statue of Liberty, it says, Give me your tired, your hungry, your poor. Well, it's Americans who are tired and hungry and poor. And I say until you take care of that, close the f- book. Because we're losing. We're losing our right to pursue our destiny. We're losing our freedom. And this isn't something that's going on far away. This isn't something that's happening places we can't do anything about it. It's happening right here, right in our neighborhood, right in that building behind you. Archie Miller ran that grocery store since we were kids here. Dave worked there, Mike worked there. He went under and now some Korean owns it who fired these guys and is making a killing because he hired 40 border jumpers. Tell me that doesn't sound like things you heard during the last election. And this movie was made 20 years ago. Sadly, I think this movie is mostly remembered for one particularly violent scene that has... 
curbed its appeal <laughs> and longevity in the cinematic conversation. And I might argue that in hindsight, it is the film's greatest flaw, not because I have a problem with seeing the violence, but because it distracts from the power this narrative has to expose an ugly part of America that still desperately needs exposing. Hmm. I think that's definitely true. That's what I think of whenever I think of this movie is that scene. And it right. was, and it's the type of thing that was so disturbing for me that, you know, I just, there's certain things we've talked about kind of on our disturbing episode. I just try to avoid and stay away from. And so that's why I would, I've seen this movie, but I would never rewatch it. And I feel like I would enjoy rewatching it. I would feel like I would take a lot out of it. Having seen it 20 years later, because I, I first saw it when it first came out, but that keeps me away from seeing it again. Yeah. Yeah. We had initially last season or early this year, we talked about doing an episode of films that were really liked, but just didn't want to watch again. And like Cousin said, this definitely would have made my list. It's very disturbing. We also talked about a movie in our first season, Crash, that was a completely cartoonish look at racism. This is a film that is the exact opposite of that. It gives us yeah. an incredibly realistic look at it. And what I loved about this movie is that Hollywood often takes kind of the easy route with racist characters, where it treats them as very one-dimensional and mm -hmm. very like, oh, they're just inherently the bad guy. Don't pay any attention to them. They would just be better off dead. And this movie doesn't do that. This movie actually peers in and treats the racist character like a human being, which racists yeah. are. I think we, it does. We don't like to admit that, but yeah. they are. They mm -hmm. are. They have past. There are reasons they may have become racist. There, mm -hmm. we see in in Norton's character the origin of why he became a racist, mm -hmm. and that was fascinating because I think it's extremely realistic. I think it deals with the seemingly innocent things that might happen early in someone's life that yeah. turn into full blown. I don't think they often happen to this extreme, but but they can and they have and they do. But even that isn't cartoony. I mean, it's a it's this right. amazing dinner scene with his dad and his dad. You have like you don't you don't just hate his dad. You, right. you understand what his dad's saying. Yeah. Well, and and then the the most brutal part of all is when his dad is killed mm -hmm. by uh, I believe it's a black man or yeah. a black. His dad's a cop, I think, uh, or fireman. Fire, fireman, and he's killed by a black man. So that then fuels his hatred even more. What's really powerful to me about this movie is how it ends. Mm -hmm. And should I go into spoiler territory here? Or? Sure. So his younger brother is killed um, by a black teenager. Another black teenager at at Danny's school who he had a little feud with. Right. Which deals with something else that's so critical here, which is Hollywood often also deals with this idea that, well, if we just stop being racist, then everything's okay and the races love each other and and, and this doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. What it what it tells us is even when you've learned that lesson, there was still you will still there will still be things that will happen in your life that could tempt you to go down that path again. Yeah. And Edward Norton's character, when you look at that, could easily go through he just went through what turned him into a racist to begin with, a black person killing his and he could interpret it that way and go back down that path. What's fascinating about that is that you're saying that that's not what Hollywood normally does. And, and in this case, Tony Kay, the director, didn't have final cut. So it was Hollywood that actually made this decision. That's because shocking. Tony, Tony Kay's original ending for this, how how he wanted to end it, was the last shot after what you're talking about is Ed Norton in front of the mirror shaving his head again. Mm. And so it's, mm. it's just showing this like full circle of violence that just perpetuates itself. Mm. And while that would have been powerful, I think it would have been all too discouraging and, and would have not carried the same message that the movie carries. Well, the way the movie carries it, it you see the full cycle of redemption. Because mm -hmm. to me, that is the ultimate test of redemption is if the same thing happens to you again, how do you handle it? Right. Mm -hmm. and that's, a, that's incredibly powerful for his character to overcome that, yeah. way, I guess. Whew. How about those back-to-back films? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lance. My final movie this evening comes from Clay Jones. 
Clay says, left a review, can't decide if I want to hear an episode on The Matrix or Crouching Tiger. Have at it. Well, we already did Crouching Tiger. Yeah, Clay. Clay. Come on, Clay. Clay. So, next I'll be doing The Matrix. The Wachowski brothers slash sisters? I don't know what I'm supposed to call them now. Um, both of well, them. at the time they were brothers. Just call them Wachowski. The Wachowski. Okay, the Wachowski's. 1999 film. The Matrix tells the story of Neo, a computer hacker who learns the shocking truth of his reality. Spoiler, it's not real and joins the fight against his oppressors. Looking at this movie, it's become such a huge part of our culture and was such a big deal when it came out. It felt a little overwhelming trying to tackle it for this show. It's easy for people like me when a movie gets really popular to sort of start rejecting it based on how popular and saturated it gets. So I decided to sit back and rewatch it with fresh eyes and it was, you know, okay. First, let me, the way I felt about it. There's something very powerful in the Matrix that I found myself that I found myself connecting with upon reviewing it, and I think it's the key to why this film did as well as it did. There's a universal longing to believe that the world is something more than what we see around us, but more than that, that we're the ones who are smart enough or chosen enough to kind of see behind the curtain. So as a result, this movie helped confirm pretty much whatever your viewpoint of the world was. That thing you know you're right about that everyone else is wrong about, they're living in the Matrix, and you're Neo, the one who was so special that you got outside of it. And Neo himself plays into a very popular story device. Much like Harry Potter, Wizard of Oz, etc., this idea of a totally normal person being plucked out of obscurity and finding out there's something so much more. In that regard, this is an extremely well-told story. It's a film that was highly lauded for its visuals, and understandably so. That 360 freeze frame shot it does, the slow motion of bullets flying around the air, the acrobatic fight scenes that are still a lot of fun to watch. Where the film gets frustrating to me is in its obsession with reminding us how stylistic it is. I felt like the Wachowskis were behind every frame saying, isn't this character cool? Look, he's wearing sunglasses for no reason. Pretty cool, huh? Why do they all wear sunglasses? I don't understand it. It drove me insane. It has so much going for it and really is a lot of fun to watch, but at times it feels like it can't get out of its own way and it stumbles in such unnecessary ways, ways that get way more pronounced in the sequels. But this is a film that I think holds up and while I hesitate to call it a great film, it's a really fun ride. Yeah, when this movie came out, it didn't have a huge buzz coming out and Mm -mm. the previews were very non-descriptive. I went into it thinking it was just a movie about a hacker, kind of like the hackers or the net kind of like that Johnny Mnemonic this is I remember being completely surprised in this film when I saw it the first time at the turn it took Mm -hmm. I mean it was shocking and I loved it back in 1999 and it made a lot of money but it didn't make huge huge money money. it wasn't until the (laughs) second and third movies that they opened massively Um, and this one did really well it made 177 (laughs) million dollars but it wasn't until it it took like a second life on DVD too Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a perfect DVD movie but I rewatched it again over the weekend and like you I was kind of underwhelmed by it. I saw this in the theater and hadn't seen it since. And I remember walking out of the theater and just my head was on fire. I was so pissed off at this movie because they ruined it in like the last four minutes with a stupid sleeping beauty kiss. Just, oh, that was a little weird. It makes me so angry. But I was excited to revisit it because I hadn't seen it in Mm -hmm. 18 years or whatever. I was recovering from the vasectomy and I sent my wife and my kids away away to some in-laws and uh, I turned this all the way up and watched the out of it. (laughs) And two hours and four minutes in, I am loving this movie, regardless of how 90s it was and the the obvious flaws and the stupid sunglasses. But it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. And then that kiss happens and and I just... I just got mad again. I felt like I was 17 again or however old I was the first time I saw it. Why do you hate true love? Because it's it's not. (laughs) Because they talk to each other like four minutes in the whole movie prior to that. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it made no sense in the context of the film. 
film. You make a funny point. It is so 90s. And I don't, oh, I don't, I, I can't even point out or illustrate what that means, but watch mm. it again and it is just 90s <laughs> everywhere. It drips mm-hmm. of 90s. I feel like the world has tried so hard to ruin this movie for me. Like, you know, the recreation of the scenes from the movie where like a hot dog dodges nachos in order to sell snacks at the <laughs> movies. <laughs> like, so it's, it's hard to take it serious now because exactly. because that's what you think of when you think of this movie. Yep. But I still think this movie is just so cool and so smart and so groundbreaking that it was kind of the ultimate like kitchen sink filmmaking of like Mm -hmm. them pulling from cyberpunk and anime and Hong Kong action films and comic books and religion and philosophy and like all these influences rolled into one which is kind of like which is kind of a 90s thing too you know when you think about Mm -hmm. like Tarantino pulling from all his influences Mm -hmm. and just throwing everything up on the screen because by that point in film history we had so much to pull from Mm -hmm. um, and we could finally afford to put them all on screen and I feel like that's what um, the Wachowskis did and And, uh, and the green to make it happen well you that was a bad coloring of the movie coloring, joke. Yeah. They have a lot of green. Yeah, it's it is a movie that has got so much going for it. I mean, it was groundbreaking special effects. It is a it is a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. How well they pulled it off, you can debate. But the story and the plot and the theme and like you said, the philosophy of it. I mean, it's it, him as Keanu Reeves as mocked as he gets. He's he's he doesn't ruin he's this movie. It. Like no, he's, he's, he's great. In it, yeah. That's the best compliment you can give. Him. <laughs> I, I know. I feel bad saying that, but like I mean, he he, he really is hard to watch sometimes. And in this movie, it kind of works. That end scene in the lobby of the building they go to. That's mm-hmm. Still really cool, oh, like yeah. the, all the slow mo ballet yeah, type yeah. movements. So, yeah. awesome. I don't even know how they filmed that. It's even a little self indulgent, I think, after a little while. But oh, see, that, the guy who talked so for four minutes about straight about the movie. What? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I, I don't think Gibby even knows. Uh, I, know. I mean, I think you're right, but the whole movie self indulgent. The whole movie is let's throw everything up on screen. I mean, the sequels even more so. I don't agree with that. I don't. Really? I don't. I don't feel like it is in your face constantly. I feel like it's very yeah. smart and restrained for a lot of it. Well, I don't. I think those sudden, are opposites, though, in my opinion. Self-indulgent mm-hmm. and restraint? Yeah. i got to tell you, the opening scene is not restrained, or one of them, when the druggies come to get the stuff from Neo in his mm. apartment, they basically just say everything that's about to happen. You're my personal saver. We need to unplug. That's what that guy tells him. That's a good point, Gibby. Thanks. <laughs> Gibby on Gibby. <laughs> I, I do think a really interesting thing about this is they did such a good job of it being futuristic and like kind of uh, seeing what I guess the rest of the 90s were going to look like or something. But they somehow think that phone booths are still going to be around. <laughs> totally miscalculated that. Yeah. So our final film tonight was suggested by Josh Stringer. Josh Stringer says, Tombstone is an all-time fave. Super quotable. Probably watched that movie more than any other. <laughs> Slow motion. Like slow slow motion. motion Sam Elliott. Tombstone, as many of you may know, tells the story of Wyatt Earp, who's attempting to reinvent himself with a quiet life after spending time as a legendary lawman. He moves with his two brothers, Virgil and Morgan, and their wives to Tombstone, Arizona, and immediately find a great deal of success. Unfortunately, a group of outlaws known as the Cowboys, think of them as a Western mafia, begin causing trouble, and the Earp brothers, along with Wyatt's longtime friend Doc Holliday, can't just stand by and watch. As much as they'd like to ignore it, they choose to do what's right and become lawmen once again. Tombstone is like the perfect mix of classic and modern westerns it has both those feels to it and he mm-hmm. goes back and forth seamlessly basically every character is a famous actor Kurt Russell mm-hmm. Val Kilmer Sam Elliott Bill Paxton Powers Booth Bill. Michael Bean Jason Priestley Thomas Hayden Church Michael Rooker Billy Bob Thornton Billy Zane John Corbett Terry O'Quinn Charlton Heston and it's even narrated by Robert Mitchum 
Yeah, man. Whew. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, forget about the women, though. <laughs> well, I just never heard of it. Well, Jason Priestley, he said Jason Priestley. <laughs> it had uh, Tyra's mom from Friday Night Lights, a TV show. Oh, good you point. Go. There you go. Mom. So uh, the, the thing interest. I loved about this, I had watched this when I was young. I didn't, just like Straight Story, I didn't remember a thing about it, so I rewatched it. The thing that I love about this film is nothing in the film is ever black and white. That there are many, many characters. color char- the whole time. That there are many, many characters, and each one is nuanced. And that makes for such a deeper viewing experience. Is it praying machismo violence? Is it telling us that revenge is a fruitless goal? Is it telling us that life is meant to be lived and enjoyed to the fullest? Is it telling us a reckless life comes with consequences? Yes to all of the above because that's just like mm. real life. Doc Hollywood is often praised as one of our greatest film characters. Oh, yeah. um, he was on my short list for characters. Yeah, our good friends at uh, Talk Hard Podcast constantly mm. talk about him. And it's hard to argue he's fascinating to watch every time he's on screen, both predictable and unpredictable in all the right ways. I'm your Huckleberry. I think people forget he's not the main character in this movie. He became <laughs> yeah. that beloved. Like, yeah. We forget he's kind of the sidekick. He steals. Awesome. He steals every totally. scene. When, and, and I'm saying this as someone who freaking loves Kurt Kurt Russell. Yeah. And, no. Yeah. I love Kurt Russell yeah, too. But, but Kurt Russell doesn't play piano, and while he's playing piano, say this happens to be a nocturne. Which you know, Frederick Chopin. <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. Really? Oh, yeah. yes. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I quote this movie almost every day. Which parts? Never heard you quote this movie. Yes, you have, because it's how I sign off of this show almost every episode. Bye. Well, bye. Oh, yeah. And it's Curly Bill when he says That's bye right. to Kurt Russell, uh, says that and with incredible sass. This movie, whoever it was that suggested this, is Josh right. Stringer. It is so quotable. I mean, yeah. it, it has some, I mean, Kurt Russell says, You called down the thunder, well now you got it. You see that? It says United States Marshal. Why? Please don't kill me. Please. Take a good look at him, Mike. Because that's how you're going to end up. The cowboys are finished, you understand me? I see a red sash. I kill a man wearing it. So run, you cur. Uh, run! Tell all the other curs the lie's coming. You tell them I'm coming. And hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me. This movie has so many elements that I love in movies. That reluctant hero, just mm-hmm. a revenge movie mm-hmm. overall. Uh, it's so much fun. It's extremely patient in how it's set up. It doesn't hesitate to take risks and kill major characters, which I love that. Mm-hmm. And the payoff is fantastic. I mean, when Kurt Russell just loses his sh- at the end of this movie. No. It is one of the no. most badass things. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, before that, I didn't really <laughs> love that scene, but but when he's at the train station uh-huh. and he, I mean, that is yeah. that is incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's a payoff of a well set up movie. I mean, everything up to that, in the film up to that point has led to that moment. And it's everything. like the equivalent of Unforgiven where he takes a drink. That's that's yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's funny you said that. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's, it's very parallel with that, another incredible Western. At, at its core, what makes this movie work is the friendship between uh, Earp and Holiday yep. and how they're kind of two guys who need each other and, yep. and in a way it reminds me if you've seen the HBO show True Detective it reminds me a lot of that friendship between Woody Harrison and Matt McConaughey where you've got kind of the straight lace one and the crazy one but they're both flawed and it's so much fun to watch them play off of each other and this is one of the great character pairings in, in, in film history and it's it's so cool to watch two clear badasses have affection for each other and their final scene together is so powerful mm. What did you want? 
just to live a normal life. There's no normal life, why? It's just life. You get on with it. This is one of those movies that somehow ended up incredible despite its super troubled production. Yeah. Um, because the director, George P. Cosmatos, uh, <laughs> Was was actually <laughs> largely cosmatose in the making of this movie, um, because Kurt Russell actually ghost directed this movie. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, uh, there was a different director originally, which was the writer, the writer. right? Who is Kevin Jar? They they shot some scenes. So yes, my, my the, understanding the, was all um, the uh, Charlton Heston, the Charlton Heston scenes. scenes. Yeah. So the story is ridiculous. So Kevin Jar wrote it and was going to direct it and was, I think, doing a terrible job. So Sylvester Stallone told Kevin, hey, you should get this guy George P. Cosmatos (laughs) (laughs) to direct it. And I guess because George P. Cosmatos had, quote unquote, directed another movie that Kevin Jar wrote, which was Rambo First Blood Part 2, which which Sylvester Stallone ghost directed. directed. Ah. So he's just, I don't know how to actually say this guy's name. Probably. Yeah, he's, wait, I, I guess he just makes a lot of money pretending to direct movies. <laughs> That's funny. Which is, which is, and making cool movies. I forgot Charlton Heston was in this. Yeah. That's he had a super small. small role. I can't believe we're going to this tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, we did it. We talked about all your movies. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, great, great suggestion there, Josh. Good one. Yes. You guys like this? I'm asking, like, in general. <laughs> you guys like this? I like this. No, I mean, for like, I think it's a good thing. I'd like to do something like this every Ooh, season. It's a lot of movies to Talk watch. Talk about movies? Unless you're Lance. Uh, I do. I actually <laughs> did like this. I think this was a good idea. Cool. What are you guys excited about? I'll start. My buddy Van Jensen has a new graphic novel out published by Dark Horse. It's called Cryptocracy. Kind of like a sci-fi political conspiracy theory story about nine families who have secret been pulling the strings on society. A lot of people have favorably compared it to The X-Files. Ooh. Um, Nothing that I've ever heard compared to The X-Files was good. Actually good. <laughs> Sorry, man. So um, I, I ordered this right before we started prepping for this episode, so I haven't had time to read it yet. So now that we've gotten through this, watched all these movies, I'm excited to watch. Uh, uh, check it out. No, I'd like to check that out. Yeah, I'll let borrow it. Sweet. I'm excited about a lot of stuff right now, so I'm just going to pick, pick one. I'm going to pick the one one. Uh, I just finished reading another Richard Price book, who is quickly becoming, I think, my favorite author. Dick Price? Uh, yep, Dick Price, who wrote Clockers, which is my favorite book uh, ever, I think. But I just read his first novel, The Wanderers, about teenage gangs in the Bronx in um, the 50s, I guess. It is. It just blew me away. It, huh. Incredibly powerful book. He's just a phenomenal writer. And I how does it compare to Girls Just Want to Have Fun? It's uh, it's different, but it hits a lot of the same notes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. My favorite comedy on TV is it's about to start its fourth season on HBO, Silicon Valley. Ooh yeah. So premiere episode. It may have already come on. I'm not sure. I caught up. I watched all the first three seasons. Yeah, huh. loving it. Such a great super show. Super funny. TV stupid. Super well done. Wait, you now hate all of TV? I've always hated all of TV except for the X Files. Yeah, TV's terrible. <laughs> I'm going to bring this back around to movies and say I'm excited about the upcoming summer movie season. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I am too, Gabby. High five. High five. Here's to disappointment. <laughs> we got Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2. Yeah. Uh, others. Uh, didn't that movie already come out? Really the others. The Pratt, others. Pratt, that's a good one. This segment. Yeah. Really, that's the only one that's coming out? New Pirates of the Caribbean film. You excited about that one? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm so unexcited oh, okay, about okay. it. Okay, uh, The new Spider-Man, I'm interested to see what they Still do with this. Still not interested. Oh, is it another reboot? No. It's you, you listed it's three, three movies that hold zero interest yeah. for me. Is this a, a season else? or just I'm a excited about Guardians. Uh, Guardians was so overrated. It was fun, but... You saw it. Oh. Yeah, I saw it at my in-laws. I'm so like... Uh. 
Uh, oh, Gibby, you really got me pumped up. Alien Covenant. Ooh. Okay, now I'm now you're uh, getting me a little yeah, bit. Eh, you lost Baywatch me. could be pretty funny. Wonder Woman. Hold on. Baywatch. Baywatch. Yeah, I think that The Rock's a the rock. charming and pretty funny guy. Yeah, I know, and you think you look like him. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> about The Circle, which is about Wonder to come Woman, out. Yeah. The Mummy, the two movies I'm most excited about. Cars Three. Baby Driver at the end of June, yeah. and then Dunkirk on Friday, July oh, 21st. Dunkirk, yeah, eh. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. What was the one before that? Uh, Baby Driver. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the one that Hudson had talked about. Weeks ago. I don't remember this. That's because Hudson talked about it. We hope you enjoyed season two of Four Friends Fight About Film. We'll be back at some point. Guys, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. We're yeah. uh, two two seasons in. It's 24th episode. We did it. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. wow. You, can now, you can now listen to us all day. Holy moly. Yeah. So you've got 24 more, episodes more, in, yeah. more. In, your, in your backpack. Just, just start. <laughs> start your backpack. Start showing it to your, your, your friends. In your digital backpack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're walking around the Matrix. You made it, you made it this far. You've unlocked the next level. <laughs> Huh. It's time to let you guys in that we've been dropping clues all throughout the last 24 <laughs> episodes. If you follow the clues, you will be led to a treasure. Yeah. So no, that's not true. Pick, pick up on those. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys. You, thanks, you will win the podcast. You will be the new owner of the podcast. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Yep. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs> this is Charlton Heston. Let us know how your list differs at, at fightaboutfilm on Facebook and Twitter. Or email us at fightaboutfilm at gmail.com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Four Friends Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty apes! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>